The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Dietta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Dietta and Richard. Welcome to DJ and DeBear. I'm Dietta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership coach, individual and organizational effectiveness speaker and author. And today I'm solo. I usually have my better half, my better three quarters, NFL legend and pro football hall of famer Richard Dent here with me. But today I've just been on and off airplanes and running through Northern California and that we didn't think we were going to make it. So I'm going to take this one solo um, for logistical reasons. And also because this is a topic that I'm excited to talk about. I'm excited to talk with you about. And so I'd like to encourage you now, listeners, to call in along the way. If you have ideas or contributions, uh, post your thoughts to my website, to our blog, send me a message via Twitter. I would absolutely love to hear from you. This is a really important topic. Today, we are going to continue with the second of a three-part series, which is focused on social justice. Uh, And as you know, this is a hot topic right now. I've been doing work around social justice in the United States since I was a teenager in college. It's something that I care about passionately. Um, I came to care about it passionately because it grew out of my own uh, identity development struggle, uh, trying to get a sense of who I am and what's my place in the world. Uh, And um, over the years, I've had the opportunity to learn from and with a variety of really amazing and generous and wise mentors and colleagues and allies and friends who have helped me uh, not only shape a voice, but also uh, feel confident and feel convicted that it is not only my right, but my responsibility to uh, be a leader and to be uh, an ally whenever and wherever possible to others. So uh, this is really in the spirit of opening up hopefully a conversation that is much needed. And I know that conversations around issues of social justice are happening all over the world right now and uh, all over the U.S., but it doesn't seem like there can be too many of them given the, the data that is uh, really swelling up around us. Before I go too much further along this path, I want to just uh, take a moment and send my condolences to all of the thousands, many thousands of individuals and families who are suffering um, tr- catastrophic losses uh, as a result of the recent earthquake in Nepal. Our hearts and our prayers are with you, um, and uh, we can only imagine, uh, you know, what this devastation might, must be like and the level of uncertainty. So uh, you are in our thoughts and prayers. 
So let's talk a little bit about uh, this week's focus. Last week, we uh, started this series on social justice, and we reinforced that social justice is an issue that concerns all of us, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, age, socioeconomic status, ability, geographic location. We, um, we underscored the fact that we're part of an ecosystem and we're subject to the same laws of participation and accountability as part of that ecosystem as all other members of these delicate systems are. We also discussed, Richard and I, at a high level, uh, power and oppression, and we introduced uh, a definition of oppression, we differentiated between explicit and implicit oppression, and we introduced the concept of internalized oppression, which is um, a topic that I never hear mentioned, unfortunately. Uh, I don't hear internalized oppression uh, discussed or even on the radar uh, in popular commentary. Uh, then again, oppression hasn't necessarily uh, gotten to the place where we're comfortable talking about that and trying to find solutions for that either. But it's really important for us, and we tried to underscore this last week, that we understand inequality and discrimination and oppression and, and, and the subtleties and the nuances and the complexities involved with them if we are really going to find uh, root cause, root causes and uh, potential solutions that are actionable and that will carry us into a different future. This week's focus is going to be on culture. And we invite you to call in or just sit back and think about the cultural lenses through which you see the world and how those inform your experiences, your opinions, your actions, and also, and most importantly, your potential for being an ally uh, now and in the future. And we want to talk about culture because there's an educational opportunity that exists at the personal level. And so what we want to do is take this conversation about social justice out of the realm of being an issue related to systems and leaving us feeling hopeless because the embedded infrastructure is so complex that there's really nothing to be done with these huge monstrous uh, systems and instead boil it down to what are the realities that all of us have access to and what are the uh, ways in which each of us can really position ourselves to be empowered and to be uh, actively involved in the work of uh, bringing social justice to the fore. So here's, here's, let's go, let's start. Let's start with the most sensational topic that we could possibly start with, Bruce Jenner. Right, so Bruce Jenner, Friday, just a couple of days ago, had an interview with Diane Sawyer, during which he described how and why he came to the decision to go through with his gender reassignment surgery. And, and I have to tell you, I was on a plane at the time, but I was looking at social media and I saw words like freak and disgusting. I saw people asking questions like, how can he be gay? He's been married three times. The assumption that sexual identity and sexual orientation or and gender identity are all the same. And, and this, is, this is where the tough work of being an ally comes in, as far as I'm concerned. I am a straight woman who has considered myself an ally to the lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgender community for most of my adult life. 
Does that mean that I know everything there is about sexual identity and gender identity? No, absolutely not. But it does mean that I care and that I'm committed um, to ending discrimination wherever it exists. And it also means that I understand the privilege that I have as a straight woman in the United States of being able to speak out on behalf of someone who is going through a gender reassignment uh, experience and all of the uh, you know, marginalization and uh, misunderstanding and and uh, prejudgment that potentially goes along with the decision that, in this case, Bruce Jenner has made, but many, many other people have made along the way. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I do is I, I think about the opportunities that I have, and I have had many of these, even in the last couple of weeks, as people were anticipating this interview with Bruce Jenner about the process that he's going through. Um, that thinking about how I can, in a straightforward way, explain to people that sometimes people feel that they're born into the wrong body, that it doesn't make you gay necessarily um, to question one's gender identity, to feel like the gender assignment that was given to me at birth has never quite been the skin that I was meant to be in, and that a person who goes through a gender reassignment uh, experience doesn't may be gay or lesbian, but that gender and sexual orientation are not necessarily one and the same. I would go even further to say that it's really important that we, all of us, regardless of how comfortable we feel about this particular topic, and that is uh, gender identity and our sexual orientation, to to think about how complex of an issue this is. Think about for yourself, every person listening, think about for yourself the exact age at which you were when you decided that you were either straight or gay or lesbian. What was the age? How old were you when you made that decision for yourself? I have to tell you for myself, I don't remember ever making that choice. I've always had a sense of who I am and what body I was supposed to inhabit and my place in the world. And I may have had questions about it along the way, but I've never had a question about my sexual orientation or my gender classification. And and that is a privilege. The fact that I haven't had to feel uncomfortable in the skin that I was born into. I haven't had to look around and say, I wonder why the preferences that I have or the identity and the way that I see myself is not something that others uh, appreciate about me or that I can share with others without fear of being bullied or marginalized in some way. That's that's the opportunity that we as allies have, is to think about the places where we haven't had to question, the places where we haven't had to feel like other, the places where we have had the right to be ourselves and be fully ourselves without anyone questioning or marginalizing or oppressing us because of that. And that's, that's what it's really about. That's what social justice is about and the important work of ally building at the personal level. For those of you who are interested in thinking more about gender identity and about sexual orientation and thinking about the complexity that all of us should have in our mind as we think about it, I invite you to uh, check out the famous Kinsey Report, uh, the heterosexual homosexual rating scale which was uh, developed by Alfred Kinsey and his colleagues Wardle Pomeroy and Clyde Martin in 1948. 
which showed that most people did not fit neatly and exclusively into either heterosexual or homosexual categories that there's a continuum and most people fall somewhere along a continuum and it is only through communication conversation and anchoring to shared values that we've been able to make as much progress as we have we have in the United States around really bringing this issue to a place where we're comfortable and we are talking about it publicly. I want to uh, take us to a commercial break for just a moment. And when we come back, we will uh, continue on this conversation and talk more about strategies related to social justice and understanding culture. While we're away, check out my website, www.dietajones.com, or send me a message on Twitter, uh, at Dieta M. Jones. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing the second of a three-part series on social justice. This week, we're focusing on culture. What is it? How does it change? And what's my role? So before we went to commercial, um, one of the things that we were talking about or that I was talking with you about is this idea of uh, gender identity and the process that Bruce Jenner is going through and, and uh, using it as an opportunity to, to start thinking about social justice. And, and the reason that I use this example is because 
it is very easy to think of social justice as it relates to the community that I am most familiar with. So it is very easy to think about social justice as it relates to uh, black and white issues, race or gender inequality, if I'm a woman. But it's also important for me to be thinking about social justice issues, even in places where I have privilege, for example. And in this situation, as a straight woman, I have privilege and I have the opportunity to speak up and say, hey, this is also an opportunity to end discrimination. What I was talking uh, and referring you to before we went to break was the Kinsey report that talked about the kind of complexity, the scale associated with sexual identity that uh, really shows that many people are not in uh, cleanly in either a heterosexual or a homosexual category. And um, it's interesting because 60 years or more after that report was released and a number of additional reports and studies and uh, books have come out on the same topic, many of the same all or none attitudes still prevail. Things that were found by Kinsey and his team are prevalent in many of the social media, media posts I mentioned earlier. On the other hand, it is astonishing how much progress has been made in the U.S. on issues like marriage equality in just one generation. So now we have legislation going to the Supreme Court just this Tuesday, tomorrow, to once and for all decide at a national level if same-sex marriage will be declared constitutional. I loved uh, listening to commentators this last weekend on the early Sunday morning shows, which Richard and I do on Sundays when we have the opportunity and explore the week's political issues and listen to the different commentators talk about the different perspectives on the issues. And uh, one of the guests summed up his reaction to, or his uh, interpretation at least, of why it is that he thinks we made so much progress on this particular issue. He said, the overwhelming machine of change has been conversation. Isn't that wonderful? He then went on to describe how the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered communities willingness to come out, to take a stand, and to nurture conversations that are built on the platform of shared values, those values being love, commitment, and families, um, is what really allowed for a place where the United States generally could start to open up and say, you know, those values are similar to my own. I too care about family. I too care about commitment to one person uh, where, you know, we take vows and we stay together and we commit to raising children and, 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 and having a household, etc. I too care about love. And it also uh, was, you know, the case that many more uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered people came out and were willing to identify themselves and, and help to nurture sometimes very difficult conversations that change the minds of people who otherwise would have taken a very different stance. The thing about stereotypes is that they break down in the absence of, in the presence of one exception, right? So as soon as I know someone who is gay or lesbian or transgendered and I care about that person, someone with whom I have a deep and meaningful relationship regardless of their sexual orientation or before I even knew about their sexual orientation, well then that, that, that leaves a, an opportunity. There's a crack there for me to explore uh, this new part of that person that I may not have uh, been willing to explore beforehand. And so there was a lot of brave gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender, transgendered people who um, you know, st- stood up and took a stand, and there were a lot of allies along the way, and there were a lot of people who were willing to listen and become allies. 
And that's the other thing, that being an ally does not mean that you have to absolutely support or understand all the time or get it all the time about another person's identity or another person's reality. But there is something about being willing to listen, being willing to concede that there are things that I don't necessarily know or I don't necessarily understand, being willing to admit that I have cultural lenses through which I see the world and those are shaped by my own beliefs, but those aren't necessarily the only beliefs in the world, right? That there are uh, oftentimes multiple ways to uh, experience the same reality based on very similar values, but uh, the manifestations are quite different. So again, I'm putting a plea out there to all of you who you know, have uh, the opportunity to speak up and to support the gay, lesbian, bisexual, bisexual and transgender community, especially now when the marriage equality bill is going forward, that we do that and we see this as an opportunity to be an ally. Now, the one thing that I talked about uh, just a couple of minutes ago, this platform of shared values, I want to get back to that because that's the, the, the place where we can really start to understand uh, culture and how culture change, changes. So one of the other things that I heard when I heard the debates this uh, weekend about the Marriage Equality Act was some people saying, people who are opposed to it saying, you know, the problem is that they are trying to fundamentally change our culture. They're trying to change our values that we, you know, founded this country on. I would argue that culture changes anyway, and that culture shifts slowly over time anyway. So let, let me give an example. Think back to pre-civil rights era. Think back to the cultural value that we held in the United States that meant that we called separate but equal, right? We had separate but equal, which was part of our daily lives. We all accepted it. We lived by it. We understood what it meant. And the way it manifested itself in our culture was through segregation. And then came along Dr. King and other civil rights leaders, and they questioned not the value of separate but equal, but the manifestation, segregation. And what they said is, we think that a more appropriate manifestation of this value is integration. And that became the foundation of the civil rights movement. And there was a, gro a groundswell of support for this new manifestation of the same value. We didn't throw away who we were as the United States of, Am of America, but we transformed, we grew, and we broke down barriers that previously would have been, were, were holding us back. Let me give you another example. Think about the value of family. We can all say, I think every American citizen can say that this is absolutely a cornerstone of how we see ourselves in the US. We all care about family, right? And so think about in the 1950s and 60s, even if you weren't alive then, or even if this wasn't your reality and your family, think about how we manifested that value. Close your eyes and imagine what picture is in your head. Yep, I bet you it's leave it to Beaver or father knows best or something like that. Now, even if that wasn't your family, even if that wasn't your reality, it is very typical that 
people would say, especially when I'm out doing work, having these conversations with people on the ground, organizations all over the U.S., that that's how we manifest. That's the way we demonstrated our value of family in the 1950s and 60s, right? A mom, a dad, two kids, a picket fence, dad went to work, right? Middle class, that was our manifestation. Now, think about the way that we manifest the same value today, family. What does it look like? You got it, modern family, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it could look like anything. It could look like two moms or two dads or a working dad and a working mom or a stay-at-home dad and a working mom. It, looks like, it could look like a single mom. It could look like a single dad. It can look a whole, it could look like interracial couples. The ages can be quite different. It's a very, very different world that we live in now. We have adopted children. Everything is so much different. It can look like parents who are co-parenting but not married. We, have, we live in a very, very different society. Now, what changed? Did our value around family change? No, absolutely not. We still value family. The manifestation of that value has changed, which is very typical of cultures. Now, what happened? A lot of different things happened. We had laws and policies that changed that had an impact on the way we manifested our value around family. One of the major things that changed was that women went in droves into the workforce, right? And women's presence in the workforce had the uh, unintended impact of creating a huge new industry called childcare, right? So now what we have is a society that has the infrastructure possible to allow for multiple for both parents to work potentially and also for children to have care provided in ways that had not traditionally been possible so our cultural value around family shifted with policies and over time in in uh, you know as appropriate in a cultural in a, as cultures do but we did not let go of our shared uh, cultural value around family. And and I'm sharing this as an example to, to let you know that, yes, there are things that are changing in our society, but that doesn't necessarily pose a conflict. It doesn't necessarily mean that we need to stop change from happening. We should manage it. We should think about what the cultural values are that are guiding change. We should think about whether or not we're going to be on the right or the wrong side of history and these changes. But we definitely don't want to assume that any change in the manifestation or the way we manifest our cultural values is necessarily uh, going to be problematic. That culture does change and has changed forever, and it will anyway, regardless of whether or not we are actively facilitating conversations that allow us to create shared understanding, shared meaning, and a stronger sense of community rather than see ourselves as divided more severely because of it. Now, I'm going to have us switch gears one more time. We'll be back in a few minutes. While we're at commercial break, please visit my website, www.dietajones.com, or send me a message via Twitter, at Dieta M. Jones. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dietta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our second of a three-part series on social justice. This week, we are focusing on culture. What is it? How does it change? And what's my role? So before we go any further, let me just give you a working definition of culture. Culture is uh, the behavioral interpretation of how a community lives out its values in order to survive and thrive. Culture is a shared set of assumptions and values and beliefs and systems of meaning that allow us, uh, communities of people, to develop shorthands for how it is that we work and collaborate together over time. It allows us to understand us-ness from them-ness. The tricky part about culture, and I talk about this a lot when I'm working with groups on this topic, is that unfortunately or not, culture, as much as I love it, is, is designed to discriminate in some ways. Culture is uh, the the... The, uh, the, the takes the form of helping us understand uh, who us is in order to protect us from otherness. And there were times in history where that was really practical, where that, that really helped if we were thinking about, you know, how it is that we can make sure to stay out of territory of warring clans or to be able to establish norms for uh, communicating that allow us to be more efficient as, as we're hunting or fishing or moving across uh, you know, desolate lands. But in today's society, when the population has exploded and when there, where there is a, a more intense need for interdependence, 
then this the 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 preponderance or the, the tendency for culture to identify usness is actually uh, uh, something that we have to really work against. We have to think about where is where are we limiting ourselves? Where are we limiting the perspectives that we have available to us because uh, we are seeing things only through the cultural lenses that are familiar to us and not understanding that culture is shaped for and by a specific group of people. So I, I say this a lot to folks and I, I talk about this a lot and I give a story um, sometimes uh, many years ago when I was uh, an, an undergraduate at Colorado State University. I did a lot of work um, related to social justice and diversity on campus and I was preparing to deliver that MLK speech. And um, I was working with a group of colleagues and we were in the student center and we were in, an, an, in, the, in a glass uh, encased uh, meeting room. And a man who was from India walked by. I had seen him before. I didn't know him personally, but he, my other colleagues knew him. And they stopped him and they, they said, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, we were kind of having a little break in between the meeting. And they stopped him and said, join us. Hey, what have you been up to? You've been out of the office for a bit. And he said, oh, I've been uh, visiting with my fiance. It was wonderful. My parents and my fiance came to visit. It was really lovely getting to know her. And... I, I was an undergraduate, I said, what do you mean getting to know her? I said this in my head first, but it flew out of my mouth accidentally, right? It flew out of my mouth and I said, what do you mean getting to know her? And he said, oh, well, actually, we, we know each other and we've met as young children, but as adults, we don't have, we haven't spent time together, we haven't really connected much, so this was an opportunity for my parents to reintroduce us and for us to spend some time getting to know one another. And I said, I, I went on, I, I think I stood on my chair, I'm not sure if that's true, and I said, don't you know the institution of marriage is based on chemistry and intimacy and friendship and it requires that you really know each other and that you're connected? Absolutely, it doesn't make sense if you're going to have your parents go out and find you a wife. And I went on and on. I think I was just really pontificating. And he, bless his heart, stood there and looked at me without a whole lot of expression and all the patience he could muster. And eventually, as soon as I calmed down, he said, well, that's one way of looking at it. And he said, on the other hand, in my country, in my culture, who better understands um, the kind of person and the kind of characteristics that would complement me? They know me. They love me. Who more has my best interest at heart than do my parents? Who more, who better understands the institution of marriage than my parents who have been married for over 35 years? Who cares more about my long-term happiness than do my parents. It was actually a really humbling moment for me. Unfortunately, I was too young and too thick and too heavy with my own cultural assumptions to be able to appreciate it at the time because I went right on, uh, you know, trying to convince him of the error of his ways. But as I look back on it over the years, and I have looked back on that many times, it was a perfect example of my cultural assumptions bumping into another reality. And that's how culture works. Culture is kind of like an iceberg, right, where 10% or so is above the waterline, the part that you can see, the part that has access to the elements, the part that changes quickly. 90% easily is the part that is underneath the waterline, the part that you don't see as easily, the part that you... Uh, 
uh, don't change as quickly, doesn't have access to the elements, the part that is deeply embedded and even affixed to the ocean floor. And it's also the part that you bump into. It's the part that sinks ships and potentially sinks relationships. Not seeing, not acknowledging the huge cultural icebergs that all of us are coming with is a huge potential for bumping into a reality that I didn't even see coming, let alone trying to figure out how to navigate around it. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do, and I encourage you listeners to do, is to think about your own cultural assumptions. Think about the culture that you come from or the multiple cultures that you come from and think about some of the beliefs associated with that culture. Think about some of the traditions, some of the values, some of the norms about communicating, some of the gender norms, some of the symbols, and then think about some of the kind of above the waterline manifestations of that culture. It is quite typical if you think about your own culture that what you'll be able to do is think about how deep it is And it also is a really wonderful opportunity to think about other people's culture, to think about when you look at me, do you really have a sense of the cultural perspectives that I carry with me as part of the reality that is my own experience if all you have have had access to is that 10% that's above the waterline? If we've only had shallow, kind of high-level conversations Um, at the grocery store or on the opposite sides of a cubicle wall? How much do you really have access to the depth and breadth of the beliefs and traditions and values and norms that are uh, part of the, uh, the, the, the way that I see the world, right? And so the reason that I was standing on a chair arguing with my friend um, at this time about the institution of marriage is because the way culture works is that we, we learn it very early in life and then we transmit it. And once we transmit it, we internalize it and we internalize it uh, and believe it to be truth with a capital T. That is the way the world works. It is the air that we breathe. And once we've internalized it, it's very, diff- it's very difficult for us to remember that it's not really truth with a capital T that we're navigating. It's truth with a lowercase t, typically. And our truth needs to coexist with other truths with a lowercase t. And it is in that space that we can really begin to have different conversations because we're open to understanding different points of view and acknowledging without judgment and without uh you know, feeling like we need to criticize or denigrate another perspective that equally valued and equally valid are other points of view, other perspectives, other deeply held beliefs, even if they manifest themselves differently than they do in the culture or cultures to which I belong. So I encourage you to think about your own cultural lenses. Think about your cultural lenses, you know, start, start simple. Start th- simple by thinking about, you know, what's your story? Where did you grow up? What did your family look like? What were some of the core values ingrained in you as a child? And then how did your family interpret those? What personal accomplishments are you most proud of? What motivates you on a day-to-day basis? 
some of those kinds of questions in and of themselves are really a good starting point to, to think about some of the ways in which you have ingrained early on and then internalized your cultural reality and how the, that, you know, how that culture has become, you know, the, the layers uh, of, of lenses through which you, you see the world and interact with the world, the way you, you judge others, you judge yourself. Um, I'm not necessarily saying critically, but it allows us to start developing empathy, but more importantly, uh, perspective about how deep and meaningful and robust culture is so that we can then start to develop the, uh, the competency and the confidence for entering into uh, cross-cultural conversations. I would also have to say that regardless of what your background is, you have a culture. Culture isn't something that's just for brown folks or just for women, that all of us have culture. All of us come from culture. And I don't mean culture as in country of origin or ethnicity. Culture has many, many layers to it, right? And so you don't have to think that, oh yeah, Dieta, it's easy for you to say you have a culture, you're African-American. That's absolutely too narrow of a box to put me in. And I encourage all of us to think about the many layers of yourself that um, that allow you to think about the multidimensional and multifaceted person you are with many uh, pieces of your cultural identity at play. The, the one thing that I would say is if you're interested in exploring this topic a bit more deeply, there's a tool in my book, um, F the Housewives, Stop Watching, Start Living, that gives you a step-by-step -step guided experience that will allow you to do some reflection and uh, to start having different kinds of conversations, first with yourself and then with other folks that hopefully will um, be fun and engaging and uh, low risk so that this conversation uh, is something that hopefully you can start having uh, with other folks around you in the spirit of developing your voice as an ally and as an advocate. So one more time, this is the last time we're going to switch gears for a few minutes. And while we are at commercial break, please visit our website at www.dietajones.com to check out our latest blog post. And also hit me up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Live up to your full potential. 
You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our second of a three-part series on social justice. This week, we're focusing on culture. What is it? How does it change? And what's your potential role? There's one area of social justice that I haven't touched on yet uh, today and even last week, but it's something that is absolutely worth noting. Um, we've, talked a good be- uh, we've talked a good deal about race. We've introduced other topics like gender and sexual orientation. But one of the most discouraging and probably severe divides in the U.S. is uh, related to socioeconomic status. Socioeconomic inequality also correlates with other forms of discrimination and uh, exacerbates the effects of other forms of discrimination. For example, I want us to talk a little bit about socioeconomic uh, disparity and then uh, give you it in the context of uh, uh, income between uh, black and white folks in the U.S. Just to give an example of how uh, socioeconomic inequality is Um, really staying stagnant uh, in the U.S. According to a U.S. Bureau Labor of Statistics 2013 December report, earnings growth has been greatest for white women, outpacing that of their black and Hispanic counterparts. Between 1979 and 2013, inflation-adjusted earnings, also called constant dollar earnings, rose by 31% for white women compared with an increase of 20% for black women and 15% for Hispanic women. The pay disparity of black women is exacerbated by the economic gap facing the black community as a whole, a gap that hasn't changed in 25 years. In 1989, the median wealth of a white family was $130,102. In 2013, it was $134,008 after adjusting for inflation. For an Asian family, the two figures were 64,165 and 91,440. For a Hispanic family, they were 9,229 and 13,900. And for a black family, they were 7,736 and 11,184, comparatively. According to a Pew Research Center study in 1989, the median wealth of a white family Um, was uh, significantly higher, right? So the gap was uh, over $100,000. 
The St. Louis Fed researcher said it's not differences in age or education levels that explain the raci- racial and eth- ethnic wealth disparities. These persist even if you're looking at older and better educated blacks, Hispanics, and whites. So the socioeconomic disparity is uh, not taking into account or is not, uh, doesn't, does not, it doesn't matter if our education levels uh, are higher. It doesn't matter if blacks are, you know, continuing to get more and more education. It doesn't matter if we're looking at people who are older in the black or Hispanic community, the wealth gap still exists. So put simply, the gaps in median income and wealth between black Americans and Hispanics and white Americans remain large and haven't changed much in 25 years. Further, the concentration of wealth in the U.S. has become smaller with literally 1% shaping policy in this reality for the rest of us. And this is the tricky part. A basic human need is to know how much power we have and to be able to express it, to be treated fairly and to also understand what our abilities are to exercise our own individual power. Even small children test these boundaries and relationships in an effort to identify their limits. And for those of you who have children, you know, you have a toddler who's constantly pushing, testing, always trying to make sure that they have a sense of how much power they have and negotiate that, let alone adults who want to understand what are the outer limits of my power, how do I exercise it, and am I able to live in a relationship with others that seems fair and equitable to me. When power is taken away from or denied individuals or groups, they act out. Children act out. Adults act out. Now, I'm not saying that adults who have been discriminated against are childlike in their reaction. What I'm saying is that it's very, very human when discriminated against, when feeling powerless for people individually and collectively to act out. It's human nature. And acts to suppress power may lead to temporary subjugation. And we've seen things like this happen over time, right? We've seen people put their heads down and cower. We see this in instances where women who are in domestically violent relationships or emotionally abusive relationships put their heads down and cower. We see children who put their heads down and cower, and then they go to school and they attack. Or we've seen, we've seen relationships where people hit a boiling point. We saw Ferguson where people hit a boiling point. It's because people can only turn their energy inward for so often, for so long, right? And so when there are oppressive and discriminatory systems and experiences that people have to uh, be subjugated to over time, the temporary response is often subjugation. Um, The longer-term response, or the one that uh, eventually will happen, is that a boiling point will happen. Now, both of these are wrong answers. The subjugation is a wrong answer, and the boiling point, and letting it get to a boiling point, and then blaming people for boiling over is also a wrong answer. So that temporary subjugation, what happens is that people turn inward, and they call, this is where they manifest what I call internalized oppression, where we start to believe that we are less than and or we start to take out our anxiety on people who look like us or have less power than us. So this is kind of the proverbial, you know, uh, boss yells at dad, dad comes home, yells at mom, mom yells at the kids, the kid kicks the dog, right? That's how oppression works. It rolls downhill. This is also 
what happens when we have things like black on black violence where people start taking out their anxiety on themselves and their frustration on themselves because all humans get to a boiling point at some point or another. Now, as much as this sounds hopeless and helpless and, 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 and chaotic, the opportunity here is for us to see the signs all around us. There are signs all around us. Every single time I turn on the television, I see another example of police brutality, of discrimination against women, of brutality against children, of discrimination and marginalization and hate pointed at the gay, lesbian, bisexual community. But I also see plenty of data that suggests that there are good people out there who are willing and able and are taking a stand. And I invite all of us to join in that latter community. But what it requires is that we take a stand, that we have a voice, that we find our true north, and then we anchor to it. And then we courageously confront acts of discrimination, subtle and explicit, everywhere they exist. That means that we don't take part in online conversations that spew or encourage discrimination or hate. It means that we courageously ask questions of people who might be different than us and listen, knowing that there may be a different point of view, that underneath that waterline reality of their culture may be different from my own, but absolutely worth knowing and valid and, and, uh, and, and, and valuable. And it requires that we, uh, you know, that we uh, position ourselves to be allies and advocates by also making sure that we are confronting, addressing, and minimizing to the extent possible our own conscious and unconscious bias. Now, I say conscious and unconscious bias because a lot of times we don't believe that we have bias. We are good people who have a strong, true north, and we don't believe that we bring bias to any interaction. But I would hasten to say that if you grew up in any culture, and because culture seeks to instill us-ness, then there probably is some bias out there in your experience. And it's important that we do the honest and good work of regularly reflecting, figuring out what's real, what's the data that is meaningful to me, what is my true north, and where do I have agency? And then as much as possible, position yourself to be an ally and an advocate not just to those groups that you belong to, but realizing the place where you have privilege and where you have power and standing up to end discrimination everywhere it exists, everywhere it exists. So with that, I'd like to you know, put out a call, pull out a challenge to all of us. Now's the time, critical mass. Let's take the high road, folks. I look forward to hearing from you. I look forward to being part of this growing critical mass that is going to help transform our world for the better. Remember, ending discrimination takes nothing away from you and it only seeks to enhance the ecosystem in which all of us need to live and interact. Thank you for joining me today. I've loved every minute of it and I hope you have too. Until next week, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better. Thanks again for tuning in. Please join Dietta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and DeBear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. 